Amen. First Chronicles 28, verse 1. I'm going to read about the first two or three verses, and then we're going to jump down to verse 9. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, the captains over the hundreds. Look at how Israel was broken up. The captains over thousands, the captains over hundreds, the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons, with the officers, with the mighty men, with the valiant men unto Jerusalem. David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, my people. As for me, I had it in my heart. I wanted to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of God. David is literally calling the temple the footstool. There was a place where God would rest his feet. I can show you in Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah calls the temple a footstool. There are places where God wants to rest his presence, where God wants to place his feet. I just wish he'd show up this morning. Amen. I want him to put his feet right here. I want him to rest his presence right here. I, I'm on a spiritual journey. I, I'd just like for you to come and go with me because I want to be where God puts his feet. And David is declaring that I wanted to build that house where God could place his feet. But God said unto me, you're not going to build that house because you've been a man of war and you've shed much blood. Look at verse 9. Solomon, now David begins to address Solomon here. Solomon, my son, know thou that the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart, with a willing mind. God's still looking for perfect hearts and willing minds. For the Lord searches all the hearts, understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, you will be found of thee. But if you forsake him, he'll cast thee off. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen you to build this house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Let me take you back in history. David is in his 60s. He dies at age 70. I want everybody that's age 50 or older to raise your hand. All right, pay close attention. Beginning at 60, David begins to realize his days are not long. He began to reign for, at age 30, quite a young age to become king of Israel. But at age 30, David begins to reign. God gives him 40 years. And at 70 years of age, David deceases and the kingdom goes to Solomon. The last decade of David's life, he began to realize there's some things that I want to get done. There's some challenges I want to, uh, to, to initiate. There's some things that I want to build for the Lord. David had already built a tabernacle. Now there was a tent of dwelling under David's reign. Remember when David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? David brings that ark and he brings it back with shouting. He brings it back with dancing, brings it into Jerusalem. Where did he put the ark? 
he had built a tabernacle in Jerusalem to house the ark. It still was not a permanent dwelling place. It still was not a permanent place where the ark would be positioned. We've got a light blinking somewhere. They're going to just have to cut them all off because that's bothering me. Amen. It may not be bothering you, but it's bothering me, so kill them all. Amen. But David, David says, I want to build a temple unto the Lord. And David begins to get plans in place. You know, the last 10 years of his life, he realizes, I want to leave a legacy. It's a sad thing when people come to the end of the life and they've not built anything for the Lord. They've not done anything for God. They don't leave a lasting legacy for uh, those that are following them. And so David sees, I've got about a decade left, and he begins to apply himself. He begins to focus himself. He begins to uh, methodically get things ready for the temple. And we've gone through the story how that David gets all of the resources together. He gets the artisans. He gets the block layers, the stone cutters. They cut stones out. Uh, he buys the, the cedars of Lebanon, the beautiful cedars, has them shipped down on the Mediterranean to the port of Joppa, brings them into Jerusalem. He's getting everything ready the last 10 years. I want to tell you, the wise person at the last chapters of their life will always be preparing, always be building on something that is more permanent than we are. I have to preach a lot of funerals and I many times remind everyone at the funerals that you have a beginning point and you have an ending point. And sometimes those points are a little closer, sometimes they're a little more distanced. But whether it's 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, whatever that is, I'm telling you the dash is very important. And the dash is what David realizes the last part of my life, I want to build a footstool for God. He wanted a resting place for the Shekinah glory of God. But God says, David, I will allow you to get the plans, the financing, everything in order, but Solomon's going to build it. God can sovereignly say yes, and God can sovereignly say no. Come on, somebody say amen. David in his last chapters of life, he honors, he honors people that were dear and near to him, his mighty men, his valiant men. I, I wanna honor everybody that serves the Lord because David does that. He pays tribute to people who were faithful. He pays tribute to people who served. I wanna pay tribute to Jan James today. Hallelujah. That woman has served God her life. And she's been a vital part of this church family. All this week she is serving in the Samaritan house. Heaven only knows how many missions trips and all the good work that she's done for Christ. Helping people, serving people, being a blessing. Friday morning goes to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, you're in good health. Comes out at 11 o'clock, sees a woman in a wheelchair out of the way, but walks out of the way to go minister to somebody. At 11 o'clock, lays hands on somebody and prays the prayer of faith over them. At 12 o'clock, begins to step into the presence of Jesus. I, I want to tell you, friends, I, 
David honors in the, in, towards the end of his life, he realized I've had some mighty men around me. I've had some valiant warriors around. And David takes chapters to write about their legacy. I pray, I pay uh, homage and, and uh, recognition to John Kelly, who's not a member of this church, but about six of his siblings attend the church and their families. Uh, that man served God faithfully as a, and his funeral will be this week. I, you know, people begin to realize when they get to the end of life, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave something that impacts. My son-in-law, who is a fireman, first responder is working today, but Thursday while he's working at the fire station, a professional chef comes to their fire station and cooks for all of the firemen at that particular station. All of the shifts come together and he's a professional chef. And Ryan said the meal was exquisite. It was just wonderful. And the, the, the man began to explain to, to the men, he said, I'm dying with cancer. And he said, in my dying months, I want to honor all of the first responders who serve. And he's going around from station to station. There is something in the heart of man that when you begin to get to the close of life, you want to know you've left a legacy. You want to know you've lived with purpose. You've made a difference in somebody's life. And, and a, a professional chef is going around. And Ryan got to witness and pray with this man and talk to this man. I, I want to tell you, friends, uh, there are people that, like David, getting towards the end of life that want to build something that will outlast them. And David begins to set in order the building of the temple. This past summer, I get a phone call. And I remember where I was and what I was doing because it was the strangest thing. A businessman, well-recognized attorney in this city, known by many in the business district, business clientele of our city. He calls me up, and I've not seen this man, talked to him in over six years, maybe closer to seven years. I had been close to him at one time, knew him, but just life had led us apart. And good Christian, strong, faithful man of God. He said, I'm dying with cancer. Will you come and see me? And I said, we'll be there. My wife and I went to their home and we sat down with them. And he began to share, the doctors have given me less than one week to live. And then he said, my dash will be over. He said, I've called you here to ask if you'll preach my sermon and my message and my funeral. And I, I said, most definitely. I know your life. I know your testimony. But he said, I've chosen a text. And he said, it's about David when he's transitioning. And he's leaving life. How that he says to Solomon, Solomon, build the temple. Do it and be strong about it. He said, I want you to tell my family that. And I want you to tell all the business people that will come that there's some things that we need to build that will outlive us and outlast us. I had not thought about that 
because that was back in June and I'm writing my notes out this week and preparing this message and the Holy Spirit reminded me as I'm reading and studying about David passing the baton, passing the torch and passing on to the following generation. Listen, David wanted to build something and he did not get to actually do the construction but David set everything in order for the next generation and he set everything in order for a footstool of God, a place where the glory of God in just a few years, the Shekinah would descend. And David didn't get to actually physically build it, but it was counted as he built it because he got everything ready. And David in history is honored. And I'm telling you things, there are things, my friends, that we can build that will outlast us. Pastor Cecil moved our family here in November of 1964 and immediately began to take a small building across the street uh, there on the other side of Ramona. And uh, this was the building, this picture was taken in August. We moved here in November, 1964. And immediately he knew that there needed to be a build project. And we started immediately. I was in the fourth grade, but I remember this. And uh, we paved the parking lot. There was no air condition. Back then, young people, young adults, we didn't have air condition in church. Amen. He said, church needs air condition. So we, we, we raised money to, to put a carport on there. And then he said, this building needs to be bricked. We bricked the building. We added an addition onto this end. You can't see it, but there was another addition behind the building added on. We remodeled the inside. Dad liked different colored lights. He'd have probably liked that light that was blinking a while ago. And so he put colored lights in the sanctuary back in the 70s because he just wanted to stay progressive and building and, and doing and, and making the house of God appealing uh, to people to come and worship. Then in 1979, the church knew we needed a new sanctuary. And so we came across Ramona in 1980, in March of 80, and we built the sanctuary. This was the lobby. I'm only showing these two pictures because these two pictures he left on his desk the week he was leaving out of here. And he wanted me to look at these pictures. So he, he pulled those out and had these two pictures for us to look at. I had no idea when they'd show up, but while I was preparing this week, I believe the Lord wanted us to show. And so we built this thousand seat sanctuary that's across the hall. It's now all cut up into kids' town and classrooms and, and been divided. But this lobby was built on the front of that building. This lobby was 1,200 square feet of space and served our congregation as it was growing. But there came a time that that lobby of 1,200 square feet was way too small for a growing congregation. And we had to tear that down. I remember when the bulldozers and the heavy equipment came in and started destroying all of that and bringing that down to make way for this sanctuary and the lobby that's out there connecting the two buildings. Now there's almost 5,000 square feet and it's too small. Listen, as you go through life and as you go through ministry, there are times and we, we saw many renovations inside. Over We were in that sanctuary for 20 years. 
And God helped us to build and remodel and do and tear off a lobby, build a new lobby, build a new sanctuary. And he's led us through program after program because, friends, we're building some things that will outlast us and will be for the purpose of saving souls and seeing lives changed eternally. And over the last four years, we've watched as God led us through a rise and we, we built the lodge and then we redid all of Kidstown and the nurseries to a gorgeous facility. And we showed to you the last two weeks two different reveals. I, I want to share a couple of testimonies right now from some of the, the women or some of the people on our committee and, uh, and some of their thoughts about what God is doing right now. Right. Wow. That's a uh, nice uh, little playground there. To a lot of playgrounds, and this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, is second to none. I would like my kids to be playing. Yeah, that's why I love you, E-Tag. E, you know, the, uh, we have a ministry of excellence, and this is certainly yes. excellent. Wow. Great place where amazing. our children could um, come and play. We're coming up on this. This would be amazing. This was going to draw so much excitement, even from outside or inside. You know, this people oh, yeah. that don't even attend this church are going to want to be here and want their kids to be a part of this. They want to know what's new. going on in there. Absolutely, that's awesome. Gorgeous, awesome. Um, I've always heard the old adage that it takes a village to raise uh, our children, and uh, our church family is that village. And it's important that we invest in the village because everybody has to uh, play their part in order for this village to actually work and be effective. What's to come? is so exciting and, and why wouldn't you invest in that? I think we're in the right place, brother. How about you? I know it. <laughs> this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be, that's right. This is where I want to be. Hey, this is where you should be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this right. is where everybody should be. Yeah. Thank you, Denver and Daniel. How many would like to see what they were looking at? All right, this is reveal part three, outside the building.
the excitement and the vision that we have for reaching families. It is about reach, connect, and disciple. Point two, David invested in what they were doing. Verse one says that the temple would be for God, not for man. Verse two says he prepared gold, silver, brass, special stones. Verse three, David's affection caused him to give and so he personally prepared, but then there is a scriptural pattern to leading a church through building programs and building projects. We look at Nehemiah, Ezra. We look at the first temple that David is, is getting ready for Solomon. And David first indicates that he wants to give. Then he brings together leadership around him, immediate leadership. And then after that, they gave people the opportunity. When David brought the leaders together, a sum total was incredible how, how what God had prepared already before the people started responding. This past Friday night, a number of leaders in the church came together and began to give commitments of what they want to do over the next 24 months to help us believe and see this vision take place. And uh, those leaders came together, and it was not all of the leaders of the church and certainly not all the congregation. It was just a portion of the leaders came together. And this past Friday night alone, over $725,000 was pledged over the next two years for Bill. Can somebody praise the Lord with me? Hallelujah. From some of the leaders in this church, to God be the glory. Two weeks from today, we're going to give this whole church an opportunity at whatever level God has you to help us believe. I don't believe God wants his church in debt. And uh, we, I believe that God's going to help us pay for this in two years. Somehow, miraculously, he's going to bless businesses, he's going to bless families, and we're going to see the miracle. How many will believe with your pastor? And so David gave leaders an opportunity and then the people came together in verse nine and they all offered willingly with perfect hearts and David began to rejoice. Verse 20 and 21, all the people worshiped and sacrificed. You have to understand that number one, no one ever went to the temple empty handed. But then there were times during the year when offerings were commanded. You have seven feasts of the Lord. If you know your, your Jewish calendar, we have three of the fall feasts in September. We just had Rosh Hashanah this week. This coming week, Tuesday night, Wednesday, is Yom Kippur. It's the holiest day of the year. It is a day of repentance. Then the women's conference is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right when the women's conference ends, Feast of Tabernacles begins. And it's an eight-day feast. And the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three times when God required everyone to bring a first fruits offering. Everyone in all of Israel, all of Judaism, everyone that would come to temple, they were required to go to temple and bring a first fruits offering. And so as David prepares, people begin to willingly respond and with perfect hearts and he begins to rejoice. But not only did David prepare, because this is where I'm headed to, not only did he invest and the people invest, but then in chapter, in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to look at this with me, and I'm going to close with this thought. 
It says that Solomon determined. Solomon determined he was going to build the house of the Lord. There is always the next generation and the people following our lives that have to make a determination. We're going to follow in the footsteps of people who have left a clear path, clear direction. You see, each and every one of us have to have a made-up mind, a determined spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus. Doesn't matter what the world does. As for me and my house, I'm determined. Somebody say determined. At, at the end of the day, no matter what other people do, I'm determined to follow Jesus. It says Solomon determined. And my challenge to each and every one of us is there's some things that we need to determine in our spirit that we're going to follow the footsteps of our Savior. In the living in the last days, we have to be determined that we're not going to be five foolish virgins that we're gonna allow our lamps to be out of oil and not lit. You see, that's a determined spirit that I'm determined I'm gonna have oil. I'm gonna follow Christ. I'm gonna stay full of the Holy Ghost. What sees me through my day-to-day -day life is I'm determined I'm gonna get up and do my devotions. Amen. If, if just coming to church once in a while uh, you think that you can live the victorious life. I, I've come here with a spiritual challenge this morning. It says that D Solomon saw his dad, saw all that his dad did and the legacy that his dad was leaving. And Solomon determined he was gonna fulfill the charted course. I, I've come with a word for each and every one of us as we stand and the worship team comes back. Live a determined life. Don't live a happenstance life, an inconsequential life. Determine you're going to be different. Determine you're going to be better. Determine that the best is yet to come. Determine that the best days are ahead of you and not behind you. Determine that I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to lead my family in the ways of God. I'm going to be a strong Christian. I'm not going to be a disciple that hides his life or his lamp under a bushel. Solomon lived a determined life. He had watched his dad and his dad left a great legacy in that last decade now, David dies at 70. I'm 63. 70's young. 